it's useful to ask yourself periodically, is what I am doing leading me to where I want to be? And if not, why not? Will I care about what I'm about to do in a month, a year, two years, two months? You know, is that really the be all and end all? Or do I need some perspective on this? Are you at the beginning of your career and feeling a bit disillusioned with a job which seems very different to what it said on the tin when you signed up to your career? Or are you an old timer who can look back and see how things would have been much easier if you'd had a different perspective on life and work from the start? Or maybe you still feel like you're sometimes floundering, navigating the world of work, dealing with difficult colleagues, working in a system which is less than ideal and trying to reduce your rising levels of stress. This week, I'm joined on the podcast by Dr. Ed Pooley, communication skills expert, and Dr. Hussein Gandhi from EGP Learning to discuss what we wish we'd learnt at med school, why we feel so disempowered, and how we may struggle to separate our identity from our chosen career. We also talk about the unhelpful mindsets which can lead to taking on far too much and difficulty delegating. We share our top tips, the things we wish we'd known when we first qualified, and talk about some of the changes you can make in your daily work life. There's also a free download of the Eisenhower Matrix. That's the urgent, important matrix, which you can use to help plan your working day. That's in the show notes. So listen, if you want to find out what we think the essential skills are for anyone in a high-stress, high-stakes job, find out why we often have difficulty taking control over the things we really need to take control of. And listen, if you want to find out what the latest Spider-Man movie can teach us about how to stop behaving like a victim. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's 
really wonderful to have with me on the podcast, uh, Dr. Hussein Gandhi and Dr. Ed Pooley. They've both been on before, completely brilliant guests, really valuable episodes. I'll, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. So Ed, tell us a bit about So I am a communication skills trainer with a background in general practice, and my kind of focus is on how I can help doctors communicate more effectively with their patients and with each other. Brilliant. Thank you. And Gandhi. Hi, um, so I'm Hussein Gandhi. More people know me as Dr. Gandalf. Um, I'm a GP, partner, trainer, PCN clinical director, and owner of eGP Learning, which is designed to tech enhance your primary care and learning, which is probably where most of you have heard me from. You've been just producing such useful resources recently. Can I just say, we'll put lots of links to those in, in the show notes if anybody wants to find out about that. But I've got you on the podcast today to share some of your wisdom because I had an email question. There's someone saying she's really enjoying the, the podcast and had a suggestion for a topic. Um, this particular person's at GPSD3 um, about the CCT, saying she'd love it if we could have a podcast on good habits or tips or bad habits to avoid right from the start of your career. Um, and she was asking, can people share what they wish they knew right at the start? What would have saved you stress and time? I mean, for me, there's such a long list of stuff <laughs> that would have helped. But, you know, where would you even start on this? Gandhi, tell us, what are your top tips? What do you wish they taught you at med school? I'm going to go for two, just because I want to beat Ed and not give him a chance to go for the same ones. So the first one is learn to say no. I think it's one of the hardest lessons most doctors learn as they go through their career. And you either know how to do it or you don't. And that doesn't mean that you say no to everything because that's the misnomer with it. Sometimes people think when they hear that phrase that you need to learn to say no to everything you don't. But how to say no in an effective way doesn't mean that you annoy everybody else. And more importantly, doesn't mean that you then annoy yourself to the point where then you're struggling or revert back to just saying yes to everything, which is often the worst solution if that's the case. And the second one is understanding the whole concept of delegation and prioritization. I think especially in general practice, it's a real challenge for people to learn. It's something I, I try and make most of my trainees go through in terms of understanding the difference between prioritizing a task and also delegating a task, which doesn't mean that they end up doing everything, either everything themselves or nothing themselves, because both of those are polar opposites, which are definitely not the best place to be. But understanding the nuances that come into play and how to do that. Because let's be honest, they don't teach you that in med school. They expect you to learn that on day one when you start on the medical wards. And let's, yeah, it doesn't happen as effectively as we'd like, would it? Yeah, I, I remember starting on the, the medical wards and I thought, well, I'm a nice person and I'm quite friendly. Therefore, when I ask someone to do something, they'll just do it, right? <laughs> That's how life works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Not quite. <laughs> and then, you know, bring on, you know, three months worth of no sleep or whatever, starting to come a bit tetchy and relationships deteriorate. And you think, what's happened to me? I thought I was a nice person and I'm, I'm being really aggressive with people and no one's doing anything that I want them to do. So I'm rubbish at delegating. I'm overwhelmed with work and I can't say no to anything. So <laughs> that would have been really helpful. So let's get the tips out and then, and then I'm going to delve deeper into some of these tips. Ed, what are your, what are your tips to start off with? Oh, well, Gandhi's put me on the spot by taking the first one I was going to say. <laughs> I, well, okay. My, my, my area of interest is, is communication and kind of the psychology of why we communicate in the way we do. So I think for me, probably the most important thing is recognizing that um, you are a person 
as distinct from the job that you do. So, for instance, if you're a GP or a lawyer, that is that is something you do. It's often worth kind of reminding yourself that it's not always who you are. So I think that's that's a key one for me. I think the second thing I would do is it's important to to build habits that stick. So do today's work today. Make sure that the you know you know you are chunking time in terms of this is my job, this is my home time. I think those would be the two key things I would say. Mm. Okay, so fantastic advice there. And when I was thinking thinking of the sorts of things I wish I'd known about, I think a lot of it again is about communication and, and relationship building. A lot of it is about what's in my control and what's not in my control and actually being a little bit more proactive about things, um, feeling very disempowered when I was a junior doctor and wish I could get, go back and tell that sort of disempowered, aggressive, sleep deprived person that wasn't getting on very well that, you know, actually there are, there are different ways of managing this, but we just, we're just not prepared for it very well. And I'm hoping we do prepare people for a, a, a bit better now. I was uh, talking to a, a load of GP partners the other day and they were saying, you know, actually they had really not been prepared at all for managing people, for employing people mm-hmm. and being like those managing leaders as well. So there's a lot of stuff that we that do seem to fall through the cracks. So let's start with this whole saying no thing. because uh, It's probably the one thing that I'm asked about the most whenever we do our training courses. And everyone seems to be really bad at it. So you think if everyone was bad at it, someone would have worked out that it was a really important thing to be teaching and, and would all be knowing about it more or, or getting better at it. I mean, why do you think we are so bad at it? I think it's because it's probably ingrained in us. Let's be honest, the NHS runs on goodwill. You know, it doesn't run on money and it definitely doesn't run on people because there's not enough of us. Um, it runs on the goodwill of the staff that, that are there. And it's because we're all of this altruistic type that want to do the best for our patients that we always end up saying, well, okay, fine, I'll do that. Or I'll, I'll do that this time, but I won't do it next time. But then it happens again and it happens again and it happens again. And part of that is also sometimes it's harder to say no. The system has designed itself that if you do say no, it's actually more difficult because to try and change it takes so much more effort than just doing the thing in front of you. And it's it's sometimes just easier to just do it rather than the chaos and the challenge that comes of trying to push this back or the retaliation you sometimes get from the patient, which is often the one that scares more people than anything else. So because it's harder to say no, we choose the path of least resistance, which is just to do it. But then because you've done it, you do it again, and then you do it again, and it, it builds up every single time until next thing you realise you're just doing loads more than you ever agreed with, and then saying no almost feels impossible. That's my view. I, I think there are two things that feed into this, and I've mentioned this before when, when, when you've had me on, that when, when children announce that they want to do something that is associated with a, a high status, let's say they want to be a doctor, they want to be a lawyer, when they announce this, their parents go nuts. They're like, brilliant, you've made the best choice ever. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everything becomes about that, that aim, which, which slightly mm. feeds into my comment about distinguishing between defining yourself by the, the job you do versus defining yourself as that's something that you do. Because 
when you've grown up in that type of environment, you're almost primed to please other people. Your validation is is driven by what other people um, say is good about you. Know, so you you go off to med school, and everyone's like, "Wow, you must be amazing! You must be really clever and smart." And all of that external validation is is brilliant. But when you come to do something that is not going to get you external validation, at least initially, it becomes very hard. And I think that's that's a real challenge. And I think. The other thing, and I, I learned this from TikTok the other day, was that it was a mum explaining something. It was brilliant. And she was explaining about her child who was playing with a toy. And then another child came along and said, I want to play with that toy too. And it's almost like we're primed to say, okay, here you go. Then you have the toy. Not I'm playing with it right now. You can have it when I've finished, which is about sharing and cooperation and negotiation. It's kind of, I'm giving this to you now because I want to please you. And, and we often get caught in the cycle of saying yes, because we put our own needs last and the needs of others first. I think there is something as well about the whole amygdala response. If I say, no, you're not going to like me. And that's an existential threat, because if we were living in caves, you'd throw me out the tribe and I would die of exposure and beaten by a lion, et cetera, et cetera. So I've got to do everything to please you. So we, we, we go towards that. Well, the other thing is the more negative aspect of it in the fear of the complaint which I think is the one that drives a lot of people to you know, not say no. It's If I say no, I'm going to have a complaint about this. And, and again, it's that whole pressure aspect of the fear of the complaint that drives many people sometimes to then just say, it's easy if I just say yes. And, and you know, my personal view has always been, if you're worried about the complaint, then you're worried about the wrong thing because that's going to dictate what you end up doing. And inevitably that's going to lead to a bigger problem down the line. Again, something I try and encourage to my trainees. And I know um, Rachel, you did an amazing episode a short while back about complaints and stuff, which um, I, I, I recommend all my trainees listen to because it just it, it picks up some of the fear and the challenges that we all face about the concept of a complaint, which annoyingly in the past couple of years has got really bad as well, hasn't it, with post-COVID and stuff? It's like the worst thing that can happen to us, isn't it? Getting, yeah. a, getting a complaint. But I do remember a, a place where I worked and one of the partners said, you know, if you get a complaint because you've practiced good medicine and you've said no to someone who wants something that they shouldn't have, we will back you to the hilt. You yeah. know, we've got your back. And it's sort of knowing that that was okay was very freeing and releasing. But sometimes we we just don't like saying no because we're frightened of someone's response. Yes, it, if you take it to the extreme, it's going to be a bad complaint against us. But if it's a colleague, can't necessarily put in a complaint against us, but they could conflict with us or or even get a bit upset and I think actually we're so sensitive to other people that we can't even cope with someone being slightly put out and uh, if you say no to someone and then cave the minute they start to complain or not like that it's ridiculous really if you think about it of course someone's not going to like it if you say no to them that Mm. is just normal I don't like it if I ask for something and someone says no to me and I might huff a bit, but then I'll, I'll understand. And I think if we could just train ourselves to put up with the huffing a little bit, just to be able to cope with the fact that that person doesn't like what we've done, but hold mm. our ground, then it's going to make life a lot easier. But we do tend to, to cave in and we almost predict the huffing as well. So one, one strategy that works quite well to say no is to shift the mindset from I won't to I can't, because we, you know, we never have a problem saying no to something that is illegal or that 
you know, is is totally inappropriate. It's very much easier to say I can't because um, and it might be it's not in your best interests or I can't because there's a better option or I can't because that's not appropriate for right now or I can't because that's the policy of this organization. That makes it very much easier than the assumed reason behind the no, which is I won't. And I'd echo that in terms of saying that whenever you do say no, it should never be no and that's it. You know, we're not talking about this. We're not discussing this. You know, that's not helpful to the situation. And, you know, when I've had trainees in particular, I've been talking about this. Imagine if you went to somebody for help and they just turned around and said no and walked away. How would that make you feel? You know, that's not a good feeling for you. So when you are saying to no to somebody, the important part is the answer is no, but there's a reason why I'm saying no. And here's the other options that we could consider. Now, sometimes those other options may be still things that the person's not happy with, but they are the options that you're giving them. And often that's a way to try and mitigate that whole concept of, well, I'm just saying no to you. And another concept that's been very helpful for me is say yes to the person, but no to the task. So you're saying, I'd love to help you. I can see this is really important to you. I'm really sorry. I can't do that now. And this is why, but have you tried Mm -hmm. this or that or the other? So you're really validating them, but you're saying no. I think in in the training that we do, that the biggest help is just the pause button. When someone asks you to do something, giving yourself a bit of space and time before you agree or disagree to actually think about, do I want to do it? Is it the right thing Mm -hmm. to do? Are there any other ways to do it? But often we just jump up and say yes before we've even given ourselves time to, to think of it. I think particularly for, for people like receptionists or where they're, where they're confronted with that immediate emotion, saying something like, I will check on that and come back to you, just buys you that time so you, you, you get yourself out of that, that amygdala response where you're just dealing with the fear and the I'll do anything to make this horrible sensation feel better. Just, just doing that is it, it, it reinforces the fact that the person's issue is important enough for you to check something and to find out an answer. It also reinforces the fact that it's not just them saying no, but it's it's other people that have that have decided this. And it sets the patient or the person up to recognize that no might be a response. I was just thinking that's like a warning shot, isn't it? In the breaking bad news. Rather than just saying yes, it's like, oh no, they haven't just said yes, so or maybe they are gonna going to say no. And and you can always buy yourself time. My, my colleague, uh, Dr. Caroline Walker, she always says, nothing needs immediate attention apart from CPR. Literally, <laughs> someone's glad that needs that needs sorting, but everything else, you've, you've got at least 30 seconds, right? So this saying no stuff, I think that's tied really closely with delegation, isn't it? Because delegation can feel like, I think it can give us the same sort of emotions as saying no. We feel like we're shirking our duty, that we're not being a good person, that we're not being a good doctor, et cetera, et cetera. How do you get round that? How do you shift that mindset into actually delegation is part of my job? So I think the way I approach it is that if you were to do everything that comes your way, you're never going to go home. So that first lesson of if you want to go home, you need to learn how to delegate because otherwise, yeah, you still be there at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night and that kind of thing. I think for me, it's understanding how have you got a system that helps you understand what is it you need to do, what is it you need to do now, and what is it that needs to be done, but doesn't have to necessarily be either be done by you or be done today. Uh, and like Ed mentioned, you know, finish today's work today, fine. But if you've got other stuff that doesn't have to be done right now, can that be done in a different way potentially? And that's the stuff that you sometimes then thinking, actually, can I delegate that somewhere else? Or more importantly, is there somebody who's 
better at doing it than I am. You know, the classic one we have in general practice is, you know, the medication review. Generally speaking, a medication review can be often done better by a pharmacist than by a GP because they understand the medications far better. So working out what's good for now, what's good for importance and, and all that kind of stuff. And my method is the Eisenhower matrix. That, that's what I love for, for all this kind of stuff. And I know, I think, Rachel, we talked about it on one of the mm. previous podcasts, going through an exercise, working out what in your day needs to be done today, what needs to be done immediately, what needs to be done possibly by somebody else and not by you. All those kind of things can be really effective, I find. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz so if you're using that eisenhower matrix which i know is the urgent important matrix mm-hmm. you're talking about you know the urgent important stuff gets done today you delegate get rid of the other stuff how do you deal with the stuff in quadrant two the important but not urgent stuff So they're the things that you need to then schedule some time to do. And that's where things like either having admin time or having an admin session or just recognizing that needs to be done. You know, so so that concept of batching the work together so that then you're doing those tasks that actually you probably need to do um, and spend a bit of time on, but then doing it in a solidified piece of time. So the classic one I say to most people is your pathology stuff. So A, you're only preferably trying to do that type of task once a day but then you're getting through it in an effective time frame. I won't do that multiple times throughout the day. I will just do it once a day. And then I'm not going to touch it again until tomorrow because I'm kind of reassured that the process in practice, I mean, if it is super urgent, it should come through a different route. For me, I think delegation is an interesting one because delegation is kind of being stuck in that moment and deciding what to do with something and making the choice. Is it me or is it someone else? And for me, you can kind of avoid a lot of that by having appropriate systems and processes in place that everyone in your organization is aware of so that it becomes standard behavior. Because, I mean, 80% of what doctors do is kind of the same stuff every time. And if you haven't got a system in place that everyone understands and knows about, you're kind of needlessly creating decision fatigue for yourself and your staff, and you are repeating the same errors this goes back to that whole psychological journey that they go through are very used to being seen as very good and very competent at things and there is that feeling that that competence extends to other areas and we only really find out that we're not competent in other areas when something goes wrong and so you'll see this on your you know the partnership training that you guys do there's almost an expectation that people who've been through medical school and, and medicine are good medics and therefore they should be good partners but actually people struggle with that process. You know, they, they struggle to kind of recalibrate that they're not good at everything. And, and again, that feeds into that delegation decision-making. You need to recognize what are you good at? What are you not good at? Am I the best person? Is there someone who is better, cheaper, quicker than me at doing this 
There's a really good book by Michael Hyatt called Free to Focus, and he talks about these different zones that you can get in. I love my sort of two by two grids. You know, mm-hmm. well, it's another two by two grid. So things that you're good at and things that you love doing. And as much as possible, you need to stay in that zone, your zone of genius that you're good at and you really, really love doing. And then everything else, you, you might have to do a few things that you're good at, but you don't like doing. But if you're really not good at something, that's much better to delegate that stuff out because there'll be someone else who's much better at you than at it than you and probably enjoys doing it a lot more. It'll be in their zone of genius and you're sort of denying them that opportunity to do that. But we really, I think, fear losing control as well. But something I always get challenged about when we teach about delegation is, and I think a lot of maybe more junior doctors feel this, and particularly if you're a trainee in a practice or a junior doctor on the wards or maybe even a salary GP is, I don't have anyone to delegate to and I'm not in control of this this practice or this hospital. So I don't get to make that decision about delegation. What what would you say to people who are thinking like that? Andy? I'd probably take from the hospital, that's the kind of stuff you need to share with the organisation. You know, those are the really powerful exercises that you do within the practice where you find out actually, probably, if that's the case for you, other people are having the same emotion or challenge with that particular task. So then actually the organization then needs to think about how can we do this better? You know, the answer is not necessarily that the junior doctor goes off and does this task every single time, because actually if they had a look at it properly and realized it was a problem for everybody, that's where you potentially get the compound gains from fixing that system to then actually meaning that you freed up that capacity of your junior doctors, the really expensive, you know, part of the hospital to do the more effective stuff, look after the patients. And then maybe come up with a system that means that that's no longer a, a challenge. What would you say to someone who says, well, there's no one to delegate to and have no control. And I've tried raising it in my organisation. They can't do it. They haven't got any money. I think I would separate out the feeling that you have no control from the reality of control. You know, we often, when we are in that panicked state, when we have to make a decision there and then, you, you can either approach it two ways. You can either do it pragmatically and you can do it to the best of your ability and change what you do the next time because there will be a next time or what you can do is you can sit down and say well because we have a tendency don't we of grouping together when things are fearful so it's a little bit like if we're under stress everything is is sort of compressed into one entity because that's how our fear system works to you know we don't see let's say we're on the on, on the plains in our caveman state and we see this saber-toothed tiger running towards us we're seeing a saber-toothed tiger running towards us we're not calculating distance we're not calculating how big they are we're just seeing saber-toothed tiger it's really frightening and actually if we sit down and break out that that task into what are the components of this task what do i need to do what don't i need to do what do i have control over what information do i need and that will help you be as effective as possible with that task then and that task in the future. Mm. I love this uh, concept of control. And I, I do think this thing about being empowered is really, really important. I think as, as you get older, you do become a little bit more empowered. And I don't know, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, Ed, because I know that you did graduate medicine, is that right? So you were a, a, a mature student. And Gandhi, I don't know if you went straight into medicine from, from school like I did. And, you know, I was a junior doctor at the age of 23, 24. And I remember feeling, 
I had no control over anything. I was completely disempowered. I just had to do what everyone told me to do. And then talking to a, a colleague of mine at, at Red Whale, who um, he did graduate medicine. So he had had a career before he then went into medicine, had been running a very busy department in something completely unrelated, did graduate medicine. And then when he was a junior doctor, he said, well, there was a problem in the ward. I'd just go to the consultant and go, Mike, how are we going to sort this out? And I was like, oh, we never would have, never would have done that. And it's something about, he just had given himself permission to do that, was more empowered. And Ed, was that, what was your experience of that sort of thing? There is that hierarchy, isn't there, in medicine that is almost trained into you, that you can't step outside. And actually, it, it goes back to that, that feeling that when you, when you go on that conveyor journey from, I don't know, the four or five-year-old who says, I want to do medicine, to the freshly minted med student who pops out the other end, sort of 18, 19 years later, you haven't really had the experience to say, is this normal? Is this, is this what people do when they have a problem? You know, is, is there a reason to, to stick with the status quo? Or actually, can I just do something different? So at the end of the day, you're in, a, you're in an organization with humans who have desires and wants and things that stress them out. And actually, what, what we know from when people make errors is that that hierarchy becomes problem in that people can't seem to get out of the hierarchy to say, well, why don't I just speak to the person who's in charge and get this problem sorted? Uh, and so I guess, I guess going into medicine as a graduate student gave me that, that perspective that I think you know, we're not trained always to look for until something goes wrong or until we, till we have enough experience within the hierarchy to to bend those rules that we've kind of enforced upon ourselves. That's interesting. And Gandhi, did you feel that you were very, you know, subservient, disempowered when you first started and you've become more of that? Or I think it's definitely there when you start. There, there's always that concept as well as, and I'm probably going to butcher the word, so apologies on this, infantilism of junior doctors. You know, they are baby doctors, that they are junior doctors, you know, that whole concept that they are, below everybody else and you know that hierarchy that ed mentioned so because of that you you kind of slot yourself in whereas for potentially and i'm going to make a slight assumption here that you know for the for the mature graduates that come to medicine they've actually had life experience that shows them that that's not actually the case and therefore they're you know i i trained with a few people who also came from other careers to medicine and was marveled at how confident they were trying to manage you know different things and i was like how on earth are they doing that? You know, how could they say no to that midwife about doing that task? And I'm like, okay, if they can say no, does that mean I can say no? And, and you know, that's kind of where I gradually started to learn that actually no sometimes is the right answer. And therefore from that, I think it's built more. And, and obviously in general practice, we practice a bit more independently outside of hospitals and things. So therefore you kind of learn that if you don't understand how to delegate, how to say no, it means you will end up doing everything. And if you end up doing everything, you're not going to be doing the career for very long, to be honest, because it's the quickest route to burnout, in my view. Yeah. You, you kind of experience the consequences of your decisions. And I think that's a very useful mm -hmm. feedback tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So when I was thinking, yeah, what would I really want to tell my, myself, my you know, 24-year-old self, it was that bit about being empowered to take control and take the initiative and, and, and not be frightened to express what I needed or I wanted or 
or, or to raise issues in, in a non-whingy, non-moany way. And um, now listen, I'm going to go a bit off piece here, but bear with me. This is related to it. I'm taking a bit of a risk. Either of you seen the Spider-Man movie? Yes. Yeah. The new one, yeah? It's the new one. Okay. No, I, I haven't seen it, so no spoilers, please. Okay, I think I can tell this story without a spoiler. <laughs> so, Andy, the bit where Spider-Man, okay, it's right at the beginning of the film, and at the, be- the end of the last film, um, something happened, and now, now the whole world knows who Spider-Man is, right? So they, they know his name, and it hasn't gone well because he gets vilified and everyone thinks mm. Spider-Man's the worst thing in the world. And... Spider-Man and his girlfriend and his best mate have applied to MIT. MIT has rejected all of them because they're associated with Spider-Man, right? And so he feels awful about this. So he goes to visit Doctor Strange and he says to Doctor Strange, please, can you make everybody forget who Spider-Man is? Everyone forget who Spider-Man is, please. And so Doctor Strange starts doing his weird things with the, has he got some? Magic. 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 There you go. Magic. It's magic. He starts doing some magic and he's weaving this really complex spell, which if it goes wrong, could possibly create some really bad consequences. So he's shifting the timelines and the universe. And halfway through this spell, he stops and he says to Spider-Man, well, what did they say when you phoned the admissions office for MIT, when you sort of challenged their decision? And Spider-Man says, oh, well, I haven't done that. <laughs> And Doctor Strange just sits there and goes, what? I'm messing with the fabric of the universe and you've not even picked up the phone. And at that point, I just fell off my seat in the cinema and I'm poking my husband going, this is so good. This is such a great illustration of how people get to this victim. Like this is Spider-Man going, I'm, oh, this is so awful. And, you know, can you just like make this magic thing happen? And actually, he's not done anything to help himself, right? I thought, gosh, I think that's what I was like a bit when I first qualified. Now, is that ringing any bells or am I completely off-piste here? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Marvel teaching us life lessons <laughs> as ever. There's a podcast series for you. <laughs> life lessons from Marvel films. There we go. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some advantage of, of sitting through all these amazing films, amazing films that my children absolutely love to bits. But I just think, yeah, it's this thing about empowerment. It's this thing about taking control of what you can take control of you know you sit and whinge about all these things that are wrong and the rotor and this and woe is me and this is awful and it is really hard it is really hard but a lot of the time we are not doing those those basic things that we could do to make things better like having the difficult conversations like saying no like doing those delegating because we are so frightened of i don't know what people will think of us or why is it that we're not doing it I think the way that medical education is is structured, when we start day one as an F1, it feels like you're still in school because there's been no break. There's been no there's been no separation from school and work. It's just one continuous conveyor belt. And I think we, we're still in our heads in that school mode, waiting to transition into, you know, being sixth formers where you get to be a bit cool and break the rules a bit. And and we don't get that we don't get that overt permission and, until we realize it until you know we're faced with a decision where someone says well, why didn't you just pick up the phone you're like oh did I, can i do that is that allowed you know or go down that corridor that can i can i do that you know it, it, you're almost waiting for that that permission to be given and so just giving yourself permission a bit earlier to 
make those difficult choices, to have those difficult conversations, still to be an adult about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily, not fearing the outcome. I think that's part of the other challenge, isn't it? Because we're, we're not exposed to, or, or we're often, you know, challenged with the, the fear of the outcome. Like, you know, if, if you make a mistake, it'll be a complaint. If you make a mistake, it'll be in front of the GMC. All, all those kind of things that we're constantly told that, you know, if you do something wrong, it's the worst case scenario that can always happen. Because, because let's be honest, that's sometimes how clinicians think. It's always that the worst case scenario will always happen, even though we have evidence to show that you know that's not really the case. So I think I think many of us worry about that, and that's what you know tunnels us into doing the thing that's with the least resistance, which is just doing the task in front of you and taking it on you. And then what happens is you experience the fact that everyone else gets what they want and you don't, and you're, you know, not having a good life outside of work or even inside of work, and you're sort of sacrificing yourself for your career. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is a there is a kind of a move to make the option to speak up to breach the hierarchy, and I think that's a good thing. I, th- I think it's it's really quite sad that it has to happen because of you know clinical negligence cases because of abuses of that hierarchy unfortunately that particularly women have had to experience and i think anything that promotes the concept that you are being enabled to speak up and that movement is is a positive thing right well, i think we're nearly out of time so i think that's some really interesting and useful useful stuff there around saying no about delegation about not having your identity all wrapped up in your career about being stuff you know being something out outside of work being a a human being about being empowered and giving yourself permission if you were to come up with three things that you were going to go back and teach yourself on day one of your doctoring career what specific advice would you give so i guess for my learning to say no the best way I would say that you can figure that out is have an argument with your kid without saying the word no. <laughs> and if you can do that, you probably figured out a route to start to understand the principles behind it and stuff. Cause it's a lot harder than it sounds, <laughs> especially when they want something. Have an argument with the kid without saying no. Brilliant. Any other tips? For me, it's going to be the Eisenhower matrix. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a go, you know, just sit down in your day, list out everything you've you've done that day if you want to do it reflectively fine do it at the end of your day and stuff every little thing that you've done and then make yourself put it into the four boxes and the key thing is is that urgent and important box try and make it as small as possible you know what things can you you not put in that because i I guarantee when people try it the the temptation to stick everything in there and then the flip part of that is go to someone that you like or trust could be a partner could be somebody else in the practice and ask them to do the same thing from your perspective and see how different their list and their quadrant is compared to your best thing is always do that in your practice you know do it as a team exercise because actually like i said that's when you find that really powerful box of the system change delegation one but if you can't do that someone you like you know if you if you don't want to take that exposure or whatever just find someone you trust ask them to do the same thing and see the difference and then yeah that often gives you a route to figure out a few different things you can change that is a that's fantastic advice i'm gonna gonna try that and we uh use the eisenhower matrix all the time as the prioritization grid so i'll put a handout to that in the show notes if anybody wants to download that thank you on the android version it's called the ike app unfortunately apple don't have one as far as i'm aware but the ike app nickname for eisenhower's um nickname president Ah. ike 
Brilliant. Okay, well, we'll try and find that link as well and put that there. I must say it'd be wonderful if they had a um, an iOS version, but no, there <laughs> no. we are. <laughs> no. What about you, Ed? I think it's useful to ask yourself periodically, is what I am doing leading me to where I want to be? And if not, why not? And I think that can be in terms of what you're doing at work, what you're doing in task management, in processes. And I think the other way of flicking back on it is is to get some perspective sometimes because perspective gives us that that psychological distance and enables us to to behave in a way that that we might wish to rather than that we are feel we have to which is you know will i care about what i'm about to do in a month a year two years two months you know is having that difficult conversation with the midwife or speaking to my boss about something that i think could be done in a different way is that really the be all and end all or do I need some perspective on this? Will, will the Ed from five years in five years time thank me for doing this right right now? And I think they, they would be my, my key things. It's, it's about getting that, that, that psychological separation from who you are and what you do, because I think that's very important to have. And I think it keeps you resilient when you're faced with challenge, because if you're faced with challenge and your identity is tied up in who you are, it's a very difficult thing to over, it, you know, psychologically that can, that can lead people to some very dark places. So I think having that separation is important. So those would be my three things. So get perspective, separate that, that sense of, of who you are from what you do and ask yourself, will I care about this in X amount of time? Right. Absolutely fantastic advice. That reminds me of, I was reading a book quite recently, it's, it's a business book actually, and this chap was saying that every day he reads his obituary. <laughs> He's written his obituary and he reads yeah. it just to remind him of what does he want people to say about him? You know, And they're probably not going to be writing, okay, he achieved this, 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 and this is a GP and this is a, you know, they're going to be writing, he was a kind father who spent loads of time with his family. This is what made him laugh and, you know, there's more to life and what do you want to be remembered by what brings you joy and actually what really, really matters to you in life. Keeping perspective really important. So we're out of time guys. Thank you so much. I, I think that was, was really helpful to me. Uh, and hopefully that will be helpful to some of our listeners, loads of uh, useful stuff to explore there. So I'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point. Thank you. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes. So just quickly, if people want to find out a little bit more about, about your work, where, where can they, get hold of you or find all the stuff that you do ed so i run a company called 10 minute medicine so that's at 10 minutemedicine.com uh, and there'll be some updates to that coming over the next uh, month or so and i run the facebook group difficult conversations in medicine where i look at challenging topics and how we can improve communication skills yeah for me just search egp learning and i'm pretty sure some of my stuff will come up whether it's the website the youtube channel or if you're on facebook egp learning as well I also run the System One Facebook users group and about five other Facebook groups, especially board game medics, which I highly recommend everybody joins. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. And we'll speak soon. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.